VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 656, recorded on July 11th, 656th edition of the TD Gaming Podcast and 489th episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Denzer. I am Scott Duff. And I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry and a gaming flashback. Right, so there was no podcast last week. Uh, we had to delay, so we have some of the notes from last week's episode. But, um, TJ, what have you been playing? Um, I've been playing the heck out of, did I, did I have, had I talked about DNF Duel yet? Nope. So this is a fighting game from, uh, Arc System Works, my favorite boys. Oh uh, yes, you did talk about this actually. Um, oh, okay. But you can continue to talk about it if you want. I've still been playing the heck out of it. It's odd. It's the weirdest Arc System Works game I've ever played. And the biggest thing about so first off, it's based off of uh, Dungeon Fighter Online, which is an MMO brawler from Nexon that has been around for a long, long time. I actually used to play the MMO a lot back in the day when I was uh, going to college. But um, the game is made. The game's roster is made out of character classes from Dungeon Fighter Online, and they play like their MMO counterparts. But they're also horribly unbalanced. <laughs> yeah, you talked about this. You talked about this. <laughs> yeah. So the big thing right now is I've been having fun just, like, figuring out characters and who works the best and, like, watching the community, fi- like, decide who's the most broken in this game. It is quite a – it's quite interesting because, like, in games like Street Fighter and, and Guilty Gear and, and other games, like, you have – Big outcries when when games are unbalanced. You you ha- like I I see plenty of hate for certain characters in Guilty Gear or Street Fighter because they just feel too OP. Like <laughs> characters feel like the balancing. Did you did you, did you see the, did you see that video I sent you? <laughs> the one that's that was about how Akuma became hated. Yeah, it's <laughs> this game is like if there were like three or four Akumas in it. So for those of you who don't know, I sent uh, TJ and, and Scott a video of, uh, entitled Why the Moment People Hated Akuma. So Akuma is down to, I don't know, it's almost like he has no life left. He has like a little tiny little sliver of life. And then he just wrecks the other player. <laughs> yeah. Akuma is banned in Street Fighter 2. Like, there, he just has, not only does he have just a pre- an, an oppressive kit, but like he has certain unblockables. That uh, that you just can't counter if you know if if the player knows what they're doing, and this game is like if if you had a, if you decide to make everyone in the game try to be their own version of Akuma, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous and hilarious, and because it's so unbalanced right from the get go, nobody's taking it as seriously, and it's kind of fun in that way. Um, there there is a game. Um... Which is based on Cthulhu. It's I forgot the name of it. Um, it's actually on that new uh, tablet, you know, that table-sized tablet that can do board games. 
And I remember watching the uh, sit up and shut up and sit down review of it. And uh, Quinn was saying, and every time you're going to have players going and saying, you can do what? Because every single every single faction that you can play is broken somehow. Oh, Cthulhu Wars. That's right. And um, every single one is broken. So the fact that they're all broken makes it an even game (laughs) because every single faction is broken. But guess what? Every single faction is broken. So you're just wrecking everybody in different ways. You know, you're trying to exploit what you can exploit. So that's what it sounds like this game you're talking about is that every every single character is broken. But that's okay because guess what? They're all broken. So you just have to figure out how to how to unbreak the other player's broken player. Yeah. And um, like for instance, the character that I'm using right now is uh, Vanguard, and he's he uses a spear. And just his basic attack is like I can swing halfway across the screen with his basic little little punch, and uh, he's just got insane range on him that I can take advantage of. There are other characters. There, there's a Crusader character that if they hit you with a, they can basically manifest a wall behind you, and if they hit you with it. It will bounce you up, and then they can do a single hammer attack over and over and over and over again until you're dead. It's absurd. Like it's 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 Mickey Mouse balance. It's clown car balance. <laughs> but, uh, but the fact that it's so like everybody recognizes that it's so ridiculous right from the get go takes a lot of stress out of like we want this balanced or we want this patched or anything. I just say just break it even more. Who cares? Yeah, it's already broken. Just having fun. Um, how does it look? It's gorgeous. Like it, it's still like Arc System works, and and they did a very very good job of uh, of turning a lot like some some longtime favorite character classes from Dungeon Fighter Online into two point five D sprites in the Arc System works style. Um, it still plays in that like sort of two two point five D style where the where the uh, where it's a two D plane. But like everything is in 3D. You know, I was actually thinking about this today and I was looking through the Game Pass games and I came upon Killer Instinct. And, you know, I was thinking, you know what? Maybe Microsoft should just contact Arc System Works and say, hey, can you make season three for us? (laughs) That would be great. I mean, the only thing they would have, the only thing they would uh, have is like you have to make it in the style of the previous two seasons. You know, you just can't break what it is. But I mean, season two broke a lot of uh, new rules. So it's like, but it kept. But I think – I don't know if Iron Galaxy were the first or second developer for uh, – I think if they were the second developer, they did season two, not season one. Iron and Galaxy think, made seasons two and three of the game. Okay. Well, I mean the next season, you know, it would be – you know, it would be like, um, well, you know, just, just constru- uh, confine it to what has been done. You know, don't make any new, but make enough new that, you know, the season four characters would be interesting. I kind of – yeah. I don't think you're alone in wishing that, I, that uh, we would get more Killer Instinct there's a lot of people who want more Killer Instinct. Trust me. Unfortunately, uh, currently Iron Galaxy is working on that. Yeah. Uh, it's like a wrestling M- or a Yeah, wrestling they've been doing a lot of bad Wolverine. stuff since. Uh, they, the only good thing in their track record has been Killer Instinct. But Microsoft has said, you know, if we can find someone to do Killer Instinct Season 4, you know, we'll do it. So. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people like Killer Instinct. You know, it's one of those games... Well, it's a rare game, but, you know, um, it's like it's like King of Fighters. You know, it's like one of those games that people have a real 
love for. You know, it's like a really niche fighting game that everybody that, that a certain population just loves, loves, loves. Mm-hmm. And that's a that Killer Instinct has a very distinct flavor to it that you would have to get down pat. And I don't know that Arc System Works is the right fit for that. Like you got to have like that. One of the things about Killer Instinct is you got to have combos. You got to have all sorts of combos, all the combos. Well, you know what happened with Killer Instinct, right? Um, they actually got the original developers uh, of the Nintendo uh, series, you know, and they so, and they they sort of guided the developers. So I'm pretty sure they could do that again and just guide uh, Arc System Works, you know, and make sure they're on the right track, you know. What you know, because uh, Killer Instinct has always been about um, combos, uh, breaking combos, and really fast combat. Yeah. Um. I would love to see the game come back. I don't know if we're we're probably not going to get it from Iron Galaxy just because they're focusing their attention all their attention on uh, that new Rumbleverse now. Yeah, speaking of buying all these developers, they should have bought uh, Microsoft should have bought Iron Galaxy. No kidding, right? Um, but yeah, this is a. Uh, but yeah, the as like I don't know, <laughs> I I don't know if. Uh, Arc System Works would be the right fit for that, but DNF Duel is silly as hell, and I'm glad it exists. Incidentally, in a minor news item that just popped up like an hour or two ago, um, Sony bought Haven, which is Jade Raymond's uh, studio. That is correct. They uh, they announced the deal in March, but it was finalized and is now complete as of today. Jade Raymond, you know, is interesting. You know. <laughs> She's she's had a lot of experience with Ubisoft, but the problem is that, you know, every time she's left Ubisoft and done something else, it's like, I'm going to make a game, and she makes nothing. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, but she's got Sony money backing her now, so... Now she has Sony, but uh, let's see what happens, because uh, she she's like, she's at the face for so many games like Assassin's Creed, but really, one begins to wonder, what exactly did you do except have your face? <laughs> it's just odd. Uh, Scott, what have you been playing? I've been playing uh, Star Ocean, a first departure on the Switch. Now, uh, is that a new one? No, it's not the new one. There is a new one coming out. Okay. And it's kind of in, in anticipation of that game. But the uh, older one, this is the very first uh, Star Ocean game that was made, but it's been remastered. Right. Remastered, yeah. Um, and it's a action sci-fi fantasy game where you're uh, basically it's a JRPG Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, and you've you've crashed on an alien world, and you're you, you basically get uh, drawn up into their uh, drama and whatever's going on there. And uh, it's it has you know your standard JPEG gaining levels, getting equipment, and uh, you level up your skills and uh you have to learn the skills from from different uh knowledge uh vendors that can sell you that stuff um and the action again you're basically focusing on one character at a time because it's it's a side it's kind of a side scrolling uh action when you yeah. get into combat and you focus on one character but you can switch between them and set their uh, tactics to what kind of fighting you want them to do and what special abilities you want them to use. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's pixel-based, uh, yeah. at least the, the one that I'm playing right now, but it has some nice rendered backgrounds that you're walking on. 
Uh, so it's a, it's a really lovely game. They did a really good job remastering it. They have some animated anime cutscenes uh, to, to tell the story, which is a lot of fun. Hey, uh, TJ, have you played the Star Ocean games? Yes, I've played. Uh, I played the heck out of uh, Star Ocean: The Second Story. That was um, a really. Go ahead, Scott. And First Departure, if I'm not mistaken, is a is it a remake of the first game or is it a? It's a remake on the on the Switch. It's called First Departure R. So I guess remaster or remake. Uh, I I don't know. It seems like it's a remake because it's the original was on the SNES and this looks. I think that might be the mobile version that you're playing because they do that sometimes. You know, they when they do a when they do a quote unquote remaster of the game, they're actually taking like the PSP or the DS version and putting it on on a console. I know they did that with Persona. I guess I'd have to look that up. I it didn't. It doesn't feel like a mobile port, but I don't know. I thought they made it just for the Switch. Anyways, um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, yeah, like I said, you're this, uh, you're, I think you crash land on this one, or is it the, just the second? You seem to always end up stranded on a planet, and then you have to, uh, find the locals to find your way back to your ship and to get home. Well, you know how every Zelda games begin with Link waking up and then trying to find his sword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um. Star Ocean seems to follow a theme where, like, you uh, you are part you have some characters that are part of advanced civilizations, and they crash on planets where, like, everybody's either in the Stone Ages or medieval ages, yeah. and uh, it's all swords and sorcery, and uh, it's an interesting blend of fantasy fiction and sci-fi. Richard Garriott did uh, it first with Ultima. Yeah, he did it in like like. Let's throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at it and, and see how it looks. You know, it, it was it was crazy the way Ultima was done. I on the other hand, yeah. oh, go ahead. <laughs> but I, I've always dug Star Ocean style because, like, the, it's basically when you get into a battle, you get this and you get this wide map, and every character can be controlled directly, and. Uh, some, like the attackers have various skills that they can learn, and the magicians have like sorcery, and you have to keep them back and safe. And uh, I remember in Star Ocean, one of my two, one of my favorite things about that game was if you casted certain spells at the same time, they would combine and form a stronger spell. I always found it harder to control characters in this kind of combat because you can't control them like turn based. It's a yeah. I trust that they're doing the right thing or just flip between them quickly. Uh, I just, I don't know. I have a hard time with it like that, but it's still fun and I'm challenging. Mm -hmm. I've been playing a bunch of games. Um, For one thing, I 100% achievemented on Hard Space Shipbreaker. And by the way, it's not the hardest one in the world to do. It's like a throwback in which there's only 10 achievements and you get a thousand for those 10 achievements, and they're all like 100 to 200 points, and they're not too difficult to get either. So it's sort of like a throwback in that way. And I like that, you know, easy achievements, you know, but not easy, easy achievements. You have to complete the game and do certain things. Um, I tried Match Point Tennis Championships. This is the new uh, tennis game that came out, and um, it feels a little better than the last one. 
um, because now you can actually see where you're aiming. So I think with a little practice, you can get good. And um, I don't have a, an opinion on it yet. I have to get used to the controls. I started Road 96. Um, I thought you were going to play a uh, – uh, what's it called? I, it, I was surprised in that you play a character, but you're basically interacting with all these characters and these little episodic things. Um, it's very interesting. I'm going to be very interested to see how far that goes. I've been doing a lot of House Flipper lately. <laughs> I don't know why, and it's not because it's on Game Pass, because I actually own the disc. Uh, do, you, do either of you know House Flipper? Yes, I've seen that one. <laughs> so right now, I'm. Go ahead. It looks very uh, nice and detailed. Where you you start small, you get this like really shitty shack, and you're just kind of cleaning it up. And then as you move along to, to houses, they get bigger and more things to fix and uh, update. It's it's a really weird game. I don't yeah. know. You can you can move into these new houses or just uh, improve the house, the shack that you're in. Um, I haven't really improved it that much. Um, I've just been basically uh, concentrating on doing errands for people. And also uh, I've started building. This is the first uh, really lar- large-ish house in that it has a living room. It has a bathroom. It has a kitchen. And it has two other rooms that, uh, you know, to work with. And the game doesn't judge you. But what happens is when you're when you're improving the house, uh the potential buyers will be critiquing you, you know, and all of them have their own desires and wants. So there's that. Um, I haven't gotten too far into it, though. Um, the one game I've also started playing for the first time is a really old game. It's from the Xbox 360 PS2 era called Thrillville Off the Rails. Now, there's certain things that I did not realize at the time. Number one, it's a frontier game. Yes, the guys who've been doing uh, the the best, um, uh, uh, well, they do a lot of things actually, but uh, they're behind um, the zoo, the new zoo game that Microsoft has. But they also did the um, the uh, amusement park game. Oh damn! What is the name of that stupid game? You know it, DJ. You raved about it. Which one? The amusement park game by Frontier. Oh, uh, roller coaster. No, hold on. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, oh, damn Planet me. Coaster. Planet Coaster, right? They're the ones behind Planet Coaster. So this is where they cut their teeth, apparently. Thrillsville. The other thing is that what I did not expect is you have an avatar and you walk around the the, and that's how you improve things. You talk to other guests, and everything is on the floor. You know, it's not you don't have a god view. You have to be on the floor yourself, right? Now, here's the biggest surprise to me, and a lot of people who probably played this game are going to be like saying, yeah, of course, we know, because this game came out, what, like 2007, 2008? Um, When you enter the rides, if it's not a roller coaster, you play mini games. One is, if you talk to, one is, you know, you do a Guitar Hero game. Another is basically uh, a top-down game uh, with a tank. Another game is, you know, basically doing Ubisoft's uh, motorbike game, uh, Fusion. It's just very strange. It's like, and I can tell this is basically busy work for kids, you know, like under what's it called, like grade school kids and, and under. But I can see how it would appeal to adults because it's just so goofy and, and relaxing. They say, oh, yeah, I'll do some mini games. I'll play some arcade games while I'm, I'm uh, writing my, my uh, thing. 
So yeah, it's a really strange game. But I can see where where Planet Coaster came from now. That's rad. I love uh, I love being able to look back and see where something came from and and how it influenced future things. Have you but, played like, have you have you played Thrillville off the rails? I have not. Okay, you should try it. It is on Game Pass, but I can't imagine it's more than five bucks right now because it's a really old PS2 slash Xbox 360 game. Yeah, I would love to check something like that out. Yeah, I mean, it shows its age, but on the other hand, it's so charming that you you really don't care. <laughs> and also, you know, the tutorial is kind of weird. You know, it yeah, it shows you five things, but then it says, okay, you're on your own. Go go deal with it. So there's very little hand-holding after the very brief tutorial. Which is actually kind of fun. Oh, yeah, I also bought a game called Stab, Stab, Stab. <laughs> what do you do in that one? Oh, uh, what? What do you mean? Okay, here's the thing. It is so Devolver Digital, it's not funny. You play a bird with a spike for a beak, and you have these two legs. It sort of reminds you of that other uh, game by uh, game by Devolver Digital in which you know, you're know you you're holding hands on other people. It's very interesting. This game is a multiplayer, but it's only same console. It's all it's all couch multiplayer. There's a single player mode, which is eh, kind of boring if you don't. Have, I can see where this is a perfect game for multiplayer, but there's no online mode, which is very surprising. This is you know this is a game that's specifically for couch, mm-hmm. and basically um, you're trying to stab people with your beak and make them pop. And there's all these hazards on the. Uh, in the area that can make them pop faster. This is one of those games in which I can just see a bunch of college students getting really drunk and playing. <laughs> it has yeah, that, that kind of game. It's, it's edgy in a Devolver digital way, but it's also very basic. And, you know, I, this says I played for four minutes, but I had a lot of fun just playing the single player mode, you know, and it's like, okay, I got to get some people over so I can play this game with them. This is definitely a game in which you're screaming at each other, laughing, and probably getting drunk. Just look it up. Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> it's the name of the game. <laughs> nice. Yeah, when you have when you name a game Stab, 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 you know exactly what you're in for. Anyways, um, we're going to move to the gaming flashback. Take it away, TJ. Today's gaming flashback is World of Goo. World of Goo is a puzzle video game developed and published by independent game and or sorry, published by independent game developer 2D Boy. The game was released on Microsoft Windows and Wii platforms on October 13, 2008. With releases on Nintendo Switch, Mac OS X, Linux, and various mobile devices in subsequent years. A physics-based puzzler, World of Goo has the player use small balls of goo to create bridges and similar structures over chasms and obstacles to help other goo balls reach a goal, with the challenge to use as few goo balls as possible to build the structure. 2D Boy decided against placing digital rights management protection on the PC version, stating DRM is a futile attempt to prevent privacy, and it's expensive. Every game for which there is demand will be cracked and find its way onto the scene, so why waste time and money trying to prevent the inevitable? 2D Boy later reported that between 1 in 5 and 1 in 10 copies of the PC versions had been legitimately purchased. 
A year later, World of Goo developer 2D Boy used the game's anniversary to run a sale that allowed the customers to name the price of the game before buying, right down to zero dollars. While a large while a large number of people paid under two dollars, the average price factored out to about two dollars and three cents, with a few generous souls giving as much as fifty dollars. The sale resulted in pushing some fifty-seven thousand copies of the year-old game, and generating over one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars, as determined by the average price. Two D Boy also ran a short survey asking users how much they paid, their reasoning, and what they think the game should be worth normally. One thing that the survey data might suggest is that despite there being a lot of discussion around what games are worth and the dollar value of an hour of play, few people chose their price based on the perceived value of the game, wrote 2D Boys Ron Carmel on the company's blog. How much the person feels like they can afford seems like seems to pay play a much larger role in the decision than how much the game is actually worth. 2D Boy initially stated that they would not be producing a sequel. In 2010, in November 2010, entry on the world of an entry on the world. Uh, oh, sorry. In a November 2010 entry on the World of Goo blog, Kyle Gabler stated that a second World of Goo is a possibility and something that they would enjoy working on. 2D Boy then merged with other indie indie devs and became Tomorrow Corporation, releasing Little Inferno, Human Resource Machine, and 7 Billion Humans. Uh, By the way, when we say merged, it's like uh, there were three guys. Two guys were with 2D Boy, and the other guy was one of their college roommates, and they decided we're going to team up and and include one third person in there, become Tomorrow Corporation. Have you played World of Goo? I have not. Really? Yeah. It is a very strange game. It looks very monochromatic. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, there's many a day in which I was cursing because I was swore that the, goo, the, the the joints I placed would hold up. But no, it just keep on sinking and sinking and sinking. Oh, you lost. You lost your goo balls. They're dead. Try again. Uh, it was a very challenging game, and I played on the Wii. So having the Wii motion controls, I think, added a different element to the gameplay i remember having a lot of difficult time trying to figure out some of the later on uh bridges and gaps that you had to do and the physics was very difficult because it was always bending and breaking and yeah that was the most irritating part Mm -hmm. and it had a limit to how many you could use right so it's not like you could just build a billion goo balls and 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 solve it no you had to they placed limits and Here's the, you know, like the first few levels are a gimme, and then it, the difficulty just ramps up immediately. Yeah, you have to really put in uh, thought into it, and not just, yeah, you can't spam a bunch of goo balls. I don't think there's lemons. I think it's just you have to use actual engineering uh, principles yeah. to solve a lot of these problems. By the way, um, it also shares something from Lemmings because basically what's happening is that you're trying to make these goo, uh, you're trying to transport these goo balls, and um, you lose when the goo balls leave and escape and, and fall out of the uh, screen. Um, I got it as part of the Humble Bundle. And oh, cool. this, this is the thing about uh, World of Goo is that this is what, what happens when, uh, when, when you discuss piracy and all that stuff. And by the way, um, I this was the first time someone said, you know what? We're just going to release this without DRM. We don't care. And eventually, like a few years later, um, oh, 
God damn, CD Projekt Red said, you know, we're going to release The Witcher 3 without any DRM. We don't care. And they created uh, good old games, which, as you know, does not have DRM. So right. this was the beginning of basically good old games. And the idea, you know what? We're not going to bother with DRM. We're just going to release it without DRM, and people will just pay for it if they if they can. Mm. So it reminds me watching it played, like the way it was described to begin with. Very goopy. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me of Lemmings. It is it is sort of like Lemmings, yeah. Except instead of having the Lemmings build or destroy to build a path, you're basically trying to build a, uh, a well for the most part a bridge. Trying to get the goo balls run from one thing to the other, and it's very mucusy and sticky. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you've heard of Little Inferno, uh, Human Resource Machine, or Seven Billion Humans. Um, it's once again them. Those games are basically them. Because here's the thing about World of Goo: it's a very old-fashioned game in that it's conflating one mechanic, one gameplay mechanic, like an old arcade game, and conflating it as big as you can without breaking. And that's what their other games are: basically taking one mechanic. And making a game out of that mechanic. And I do suggest. Yeah, I, I think they did a good job with it. I always found it a fun game. I, I, I think I liked the music. I remember it being relaxing. Um, but it was a very challenging game, too. Yeah. Little Inferno is a weird game. It's you basically buying pets and then killing them. <laughs> uh, the Human Resource Machine and 7 Billion Humans. Uh, 7 Billion Humans is a. a uh, is a sequel, and it's basically uh, you weaponizing bureaucracy and trying to uh, get get things done with with a group of people. That sounds like Bogans. I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. Uh, if you see World of Goo, it's like five bucks right now. If you want to buy it off Steam, if I remember correctly, it's an old game, but you know it still holds up because it has a very timeless look to it. It is very Tim Burtonish. You know, very goopy Tim Burton, beard, backgrounds. It's and it's one of those games which you'll spend 15 minutes. You know, oh, I'm gonna, you know, see if you can, and then you do something else. You know, it's sort of like one of those kill time games. And you're right, yeah. though, it is a very mobile-ish game. It's, it's a mobile game before mobile ga- mobile games were a thing. Scott, you were gonna say something? Uh, just that it was, you know, like we said, a, a fun game, and uh, it just had a lot of fun playing it. Back in the day on the, the Wii. Yeah, I still have it in my Steam uh, library. Maybe I'll play it sometime. Anyways, we're going to do some quick news. Um, first quick news is that NBA 2K23 reveals Michael Jordan. The championship it covers it will bring back the iconic Jordan challenges from 2K11, except with 100% more DRM. I, you know, I, I, I said this once and again. I'm never going to pay for an NBA 2K game until virtual currency is removed from it. And that's never going to happen. Yeah. It's way of the future, unfortunately, for like all of these popular sports games, which I, I've i actually had fun looking to the indies to see where I can find good sports games nowadays. Uh, I can't freaking stand Madden and NBA 2K anymore. Unfortunately, the game, the indie games are just terrible. Um, There's a handful of good ones out there that are that okay. I would go to bat for. Super Mega Baseball 3 was disappointing. I wish they had put more work into it. And if there's a Super Mega Baseball 4, I will check it out. But I got burned with 3. And it isn't because of any DR or anything like that. It's just that they made the uh, original game 
added a really flimsy league to it. You know, it's sort of like they have a small team and it shows. They should have just spent more time. I wouldn't have minded waiting another year or two. Um, if you want a good football game, I would suggest Legend Bowl, which is uh, a top-down pixelated uh football game it's unlicensed all the teams are unlicensed but it but it's still like the it nails down like the classic it both nails down the classic football games but it also has like some proper modern stuff you know what they they need to do they need to port all pro football 2k 7 to pc yeah that would be fun because then you have the modders coming in, and oh yeah, the the generic well not anymore. Because <laughs> that actually has the best football gameplay of any game, but that's like almost a decade old now, and they never released it on PC. Mm-hmm. So what was the other game you're talking about? This Pixel one? Uh, Legend Bull. There's also uh, the new Madden coming out too, and I'm gonna avoid that. They, they oh we have a new engine which is gonna make more realistic. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. It's going to be terrible. We all know it's going to be terrible. <laughs> poor Madden's, you know, poor guy died in the past year, and he's still attached to a really bad game right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lolly Chop Chainsaw is getting a remake next year. Yoshimi Yasuda is returning to remake the game under his new studio, Dragami Dr- Dr- Games. One thing that um, people don't know, or maybe do know, is that it was written by James Gunn, I don't know if it was before or after he started becoming a name yet. I know that he wrote Scooby-Doo before he was a name. He was already on board with uh, Warner Brothers Studios by the time that it happened, because Warner Brothers Interactive are the ones who uh, put uh, the publisher in touch with him. Yeah. Um, what did you think of also oh, And this was also a grasshopper manufacturer in, Su- in Suda 51. Yeah, and you could tell it was a Suda 51 game. Because that because <laughs> it was batshit crazy, obviously. Um you have her boyfriend's head <laughs> talking to her. It's on her hip. And I guess that's not a bad place for you to be on your girlfriend. Just hanging there on her hip. Uh and when you killed zombies in a special way you got a rainbow. It was I just thought it was trying too hard to be uh, hip and cool, sort of like uh Sunset Overdrive. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've always gotten that vibe out of Suda 51 games. Like, No More Heroes definitely has that vibe to it, where, like, Travis Touchdown is a is a douche, but, but he's you can always, the hero of the game. You can always tell what Suda 5 is into by the by what Travis t- uh, Touchdown is doing in the game. Because you can, you can uh, just like uh, Swery, um, you can tell what TV shows he's just watched. By the game he's he's released, you know you can tell. Oh, he's really into uh, into um, oh, what was the name of that that show on TV with with Matthew McConaughey, True Detective. Oh, he's been really into True Detective this time because he made a game that's basically True Detective. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but you know, Lolly Chop Chainsaw was from a gameplay perspective was still fun. So I can see why you're going to remake it. I'm pretty sure it has a lot of fans. Do you remember Lolly? The lollipop chainsaw, uh, Scott? Maybe not. Anyways, uh, No Man's Sky players invent their own cryptocurrency, and it's worthless, but it's supposed to be. Uh, Hubcoin's big secret is it doesn't have any official value. I'm worried that it's going to actually have value from this time, or quote-unquote value, 
that somehow people are going to try and make that cryptocurrency real cryptocurrency. That scares me. <laughs> huh. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny that they kind of created just like a random joke <laughs> to just specifically that would only work in this kind of game to spoof that whole scene. I wonder if it was a middle finger to Ubisoft. Who knows? <clears throat> but um, yeah, so a boatload of old ZX Spectrum games are being released on Steam. And I remember these games from 85. Um, there were the, the, the games named like Bounder, Money Mole, Pimania, Hungry Horse. And I know maybe Scott might recognize Hungry Horus there because that was the game he was playing a bit, a bit back or at least based on the game. And Penetrator. Uh, and Penetrator was actually an action game that uh, some of these games are really good. I'm going to say that right now. Um and they're only selling on on Steam for like two bucks, you know, because they are very basic, you know. That's what you get from a very like a double Atari. Do you do you, do you remember the ZX Spectrum at all? You remember the rotten keyboard it had? Uh, the ZX Spectrum was before my time, so I didn't okay. have the, ever fiddle with it. The key uh, the keypad was basically a plain, just a a, a thing, and the buttons were were just squares on it so you didn't press down you just you just tapped them and it's like you didn't know if you were tapping anything because it was that chintzy but um these games you know they're very much like c64 games they're very entertaining they're very basic but um penetrator is the one i remember because aside from the name but um I'm trying to remember yeah it was a very nice oh cosmic avenger clone you know, scrolling shooter. So, but yeah, um, these like I said, uh, they're on sale for like two bucks, and that's basically what they're worth. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell them for more than two dollars. But it's nice to see the ZX Spectrum getting some love again, especially if you like uh, platformers, because platformers in the '80s were still really, really good. Obviously, I mean, everybody else was aping Super Mario or uh, Super Mario Game Brothers. Um, this is one for you, TJ. GD, GDQ speedrunner banned after admitting run was faked. Uh, Russian speedrunner Mechazarium completed a live run of Metal Gear Rising Revengeance as one of the handful of online rather than in-person runs. Um, I, yeah, how come it is every few months you hear about yet another speedrunner being proven a cheater? I do not understand why you why this idiot would do that on a live stream for charity like what a freaking embarrassment to everyone who put their faith in him here's the thing do they actually think they're going to get away with it i mean it seems like when you fake a speed run people find out and know immediately that you faked it uh yeah, and it seems as though he wouldn't have revealed that he cheated if uh, if it looked like people on basically people on the speedrun subreddit were looking over his video closely and pointing out that like it looked weird the way he was playing. So there's a very solid chance that he added himself because he felt like he was about to be found out anyways. Um, games of Gold will stop including Xbox 360 games in October. Uh, the first claimed Xbox 360 titles will be redownloadable. I'm not surprised. I think they're just running out of games to, to put on Games with Gold. And something has to be done with Games with Gold because, you know, even if it just has Xbox One games now, it's it pale. It's 
it's been overshadowed by Game Pass to a huge degree. And I don't know if anybody would do games with gold if, A, they needed uh, online, or, B, they already had games with uh, Game Pass Ultimate, you know. I mean, I like them giving away free games, but just rename it to something else like Xbox Free Games Subscription or something like that because it's 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 like I said, you know, Microsoft recently, uh, you know, um, removed the online the online you know having to pay for online with free to play games. Yeah, I mean, like it's like I don't. I guess like what else do they need to include at this point? As long as they're still they're still offering them, right? You just can't. Yeah, until they're, until they're yeah. just going to stop adding new ones. Right, and they also have not made new backwards but compatible games chiefly because i think a lot of third-party games you have to, you can't just play some you know the publisher has to want to put them on and a lot of the games i would want backwards compatible they're never going to do sports mm-hmm. games forget about it you're never going to see college hoops 2k8 on um 2k9 on on backwards compatible ever that's yeah. why i still have my 360 you're never gonna have the let's call them good Maddens because why would why would EA want you to play the old Maddens? Yes. Uh, Scott, you're we're getting some weird stuff from your end. Sorry, I don't know what that was. Uh, uh teacher, <laughs> um, well, the uh, never mind. But it's it's a bummer, but it was inevitable because you have to have games to uh, to download. Uh, fans think Call of Duty 2024 20, leak point to Gulf War era. Details were posted to Twitter by user RealityX, whose account has now been suspended, though a description of what was posted remains on Reddit. I wonder why it was suspended. The, the... By the way, on that note, uh, did you see where Elon Musk said, I'm not going to buy Twitter? Yes. And yes. We, knew, we knew he wasn't going to buy Twitter. You know, the, the entire reason he did it was to depress the stock of Twitter. He just wanted that stock to become cheap and uh, as you know, make them lose millions of dollars, as sort of a, a retributive sort of thing. You know, it's just a game of his. So I'm not surprised. Um, I think the Gulfware era, the '90s, are long ago enough that you can now do it. Um, remember that game? I think it was Road to Fallujah. It was something like that. Something with Fallujah in it. Yeah. They had to six change days, six days in Fallujah or something right. like that. Yeah. So yeah, the Gulf War was 30 years ago. So why not? I guess. Um, but what's interesting is that remember this is Activision Blizzard. So 2024 does Microsoft own? I mean, does when did when does the contract with Sony run out with Call of Duty? I know it's still from 2022 and 2023. Does it does it stop in 2024? Mm. I don't know, because like the if if they're talking about the Gulf War, I would assume that they might be going like for a Black Ops, because Black Ops has been more like in uh, that sort of area. Well, wasn't Black Ops mostly the Vietnam War? Black Ops moves between Vietnam up to the uh, like all the way up to like there's like. Castro stuff and Bay of Pigs stuff and uh and some yeah, of the yeah but that's still pre seventies see yeah uh, one item that is not here but we're going to talk about is that Microsoft has announced it will be at Gamescom this year Sony and and Nintendo will not be um and you've gone to Gamescom so you know that um if Microsoft's going to be there they're probably going to be demoing a lot of Game Pass games um people are speculating they might show some Redfall. 
uh, gameplay there. And maybe another aspect of, um, of Starfield we haven't seen yet. But I think mostly it's going to be – there's going to be a lot of people uh, at Gamescom, a lot of gamers, and they're just going to say, here's what we have on Game Pass and just let them play the games on, that are currently on Game Pass or about to be on Game Pass. Just as like advertising Game Pass to Europe. Hmm. Hey, TJ, tell, tell the people what, how, how it works at Gamescom with press and fans. Um, there is like – there's like about the the convention center in, in Cologne, Germany is split up into about six different major sections. And four of those sections are like general access. Anyone can go there if you have a ticket to attend. And then two of those sections are entirely like press only. Um, and I mean, like they they you go, you have to have a press badge to enter and it's like all cubicles and all like uh, folks like the developers and publishers set up in their own sections doing press appointments. And I always loved that. Like, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Isa, you want to save E3, do what Gamescom does. Yeah, very distinctly separate your your press from the uh, from the public uh, portion, because like I could still go out to the public portion. I could still go play the games and check out things at the booths and stuff. But when it was time to do appointments and when it was time to do work, I would head over to the press area and it was like very quiet, very organized and very, uh, very chill. And also gamers who went to E3 the past two years or past two available years. Discovered it was really, really, really boring for them because there was nothing they could really do. Yeah, it sucks to have to fight against the crowds and, and to make it to wherever you need to be. I don't like the fact that I have to that I have to push elbow to elbow, especially right now. I don't like <laughs> having to move between crowds to get to my appointments and do interviews. Anyways, final final of the quick news. Um, really sad. Uh, Mojang pays tribute to Technoblade on the Minecraft loading screen. Uh, Technoblade's signature crown pig is now official part of the game that he loved. Um, did you see the video of his father uh, reading yeah. uh, his last his last uh, well basically statement? Yeah, we saw that. I, I saw that. Um, I never followed Technoblade's videos. I, I wasn't even really aware of him. But I thought it was very touching that uh, Mo Yang uh, added that character to the launcher and, you know, just paid tribute to him because apparently he was a big effect in the community. He was and, only 25, too. So he'd been yeah. playing, he'd been playing uh, Minecraft since he was a small teen. And here's the thing about Technoblade is that no one knew his face or his name. So this is basically his coming out. Uh, I, I, I love the fact that he trolled people by having his brother – "Quote unquote," say his name, but it was it was not his name, so that he could have all these creepy guys saying, "Hey, Andrew," and it's like, "Nope, my name's not Andrew. You got you got trolled." <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is Andrew. It really is Andrew. I'm sorry. He just gave it a fake name, and people thought it was his real name. Um, yeah. Yeah, it said it was Dave, and it was really Alex, and yeah, you know, it just just goes to show like, okay, this person doesn't know you, even though they're like pretending. Yeah. It's just really disturbing how people think that they can do that but you know oh the disturbing the disturbing stuff is coming later in this podcast don't worry about that but yeah i was really really sad um and you know another another person in the uh in the community also died at 25 and i'm thinking what is wrong what is 
25, all of a sudden it's like a cutoff age for certain people. I don't know. But, yeah, it was really sad. I advise you watch um, his – the name of the video, I think, is uh, So Long Nerds, if you want to see it. Anyways, we're going to go on to the game news. Uh, go ahead, TJ. And try not to get too pissed. Ubisoft to pull online from older games, which also takes away your DLC from PC Gamer. Ubisoft has announced that it's, uh, that effective September 1st, it will be decommissioning the online features of a selection of older games. This includes Anno 2017, Assassin's Creed 2, uh, 3, Brotherhood, and Liberation, Driver of San Francisco, Far Cry 3, Prince of Persia, The Forgotten Sands, Silent Hunter 5, Space Junkies, and Splinter Cell Blacklist. Space Junkies, the multiplayer VR shooter, costs $40 at release uh, and remains available for sale on Steam, with no notice that it will be rendered unplayable in two months. Players will also lose access to DLC in Assassin's Creed 3, uh, 3, Brotherhood, and Liberation, as well as Driver and Prince of Persia. This mask decommissioning also demonstrates the preservation issues inherent to walled garden online services. Overwatch, Destiny, Ubisoft's own Rainbow Six Siege, and others will all have their servers switched off at some point, after all. This... I don't understand why you would take a single-player game and make it so that it has to be... so it has to have an online connection. Well, here, you can still play it. You just can't play the uh, online section. And some of the DLC is tied to it, so you lose access to it, which is weird. Yeah, that really is uh, upsetting. I know a lot of people uh, on my Discord group were talking about it and how that's, you know, they, they basically say don't give Ubisoft uh, money because this is what they will do to you. And uh, losing access to parts of the game is just it's terrible. Okay. Yeah. And ultimately, like what do you it it brings up a. It brings up a valid concern for a lot of Ubisoft games because a lot of Ubisoft games, whether they're online or offline, are like this, where Ubisoft needs you to log in and and link your account and do all that shit, even if you're not going to be playing multiplayer in a game. The other thing is this. um, People say, well, why don't they just let fans, you know, run their own servers and stuff? And here's the thing. They can't do that because then that's money they wouldn't be having, even though they're not going to be – they're decided they're not going to make money anymore from it. Mm-hmm. That's why you can't say, oh, let's make a – well, why, why don't we just have our own thing for, uh, say, the some defunct uh, MMO. Well, I can't say Call, uh, Call of Heroes or City of Heroes because they actually eventually allowed it, I think. I think people made their own uh, City of Heroes. But – you can't just, you know, have, say, Asheron's call and say, we'll just run our own servers. And actually, I don't know. Maybe Microsoft is letting them do that. I, I mean, a lot of MMOs, they won't allow people to do their own servers because then they'd be playing a game that they could have been making money on, even though they decided they weren't going to make money on it. I know It's just frustrating. Yeah. And like, like I said, what's to stop Ubisoft from continuing to do that with further games like i mean number one is rainbow six siege which is all about the online space Mm -hmm. but even like a game like rainbow six extraction which is like the pve uh version of rainbow six siege is at risk for this 
eventually on a long enough timeline. I mean, at least Microsoft had the decency to wait until there was only one player left in Halo before they shut Halo 2 before they shut down the old Xbox Live servers. <laughs> at least Halo, because remember, these people were playing, they were on Halo 2 24-7 because they didn't want the online to be shut down. <laughs> It was sort of like that one guy at Tiananmen Square, you know, with the tanks, you know. No, you can't, you can't pass me. I haven't stopped playing yet. Oh, well, we shut down the servers because there's only one of you and you can't play a single-player multiplayer game. But yeah, it's depressing. Um, and it, a lot of people have a lot of um, time and investment put into some of these games. And it's sort of like it's being taken away from you, even though you're still actively playing. Yeah. What do you do when your favorite MMO gets shut down through no fault of your own? Well, that guess, like... Go ahead, Scott. I guess yeah. that's when they do an offline version of it. Um, not necessarily a legit but one. But they I, won't let that happen. See, that's the problem. Yeah. They don't... Uh, say, why don't you let the fans make their own... Uh, run their own servers, or why don't you make an offline version? They're not going to do it. I always wanted to play an offline version of World of Warcraft with bots as your as your party, but that's never going to happen. They can't make money from that. You were going to say? Yeah, so not much you can do. Anyways, uh, go ahead, Scott, the next item. Okay. That one. <clears throat> Sucker Punch has no plans for revisit its uh, Sly Cooper or infamous games. This is from Eurogamer. In a blog celebrating the studio's 25th anniversary, the team said that while whilst it has while it was proud to look back on the legacy of characters and stories it had created, it had it is now focused on its current project. We approached 25 years since Sucker Punch first opened. We're proud to look back at the legacy of characters and stories we've created from Rocket <clears throat> Robot on Wheels to Sly Cooper and Infamous, and most recently Ghost of Tsushima. The developer said in a blog post. Increasingly, though. Despite confirming no plans to expand those franchises, Sucker Punch did confirm that it would be performing maintenance on infamous two UGC servers soon to move them to a new home that will keep them up and running a bit longer. And while the team would have to eventually need to sunset these, the studio wanted to keep them running for as long as possible for players that are still active. In, in, in stark contrast to Ubisoft, see? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, Sucker Punch also confirmed that infamous Second Son, Son's Cold Legacy DLC, originally only included as part of the Games Collector's Edition, will now be released on PlayStation Store. Sucker Punch confirmed in April that it had stopped actively working on additional patches and content for Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, Sony bought Infamous and Sly Cooper developer Sucker Punch back in 2011. I remember playing Sly Cooper, and I did the unfortunate thing. It started with the last game instead of the first game, not, not realizing that it was the last game. I hate doing that, but it was a really fun game, and it was nice just being this kind of roguish character, and you're doing these heists and platforming, and it's really fun. Um, and I... I I got. In, I remember getting infamous back when Sony had that whole scandal with being hacked, and then they had to give a whole a whole bunch of people free games. And one of the ones I got was infamous, where you 
uh, you're learning lightning abilities and stuff, and it was a very unusual game. I, I didn't quite like it as much as Sly. It wasn't as charming to me, but, you know, they were still well-made games, I think. Here's the thing. Um, it's sad not to have additional games in the series, you know, because you, you like the series, you want to see more of it. But on the other hand, you know, I can see where developers say, you know, we're done with that character. We really don't need to do that character anymore because we want to do something new, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if they had, if they kept on sticking to Sly Cooper, they weren't going to make Infamous. And if they kept making Infamous, they weren't going to do Ghost of Tsushima. So I can see where that is. I mean, although, here's the thing, you know, Toys for Bob did... Uh, the Crash Bandicoot 4 game and the other did they do did they do a new uh, Spyro game or did they just remake the old th- the f- original 3 I think there's only 3 okay but they did make uh Crash Bandicoot 4 right so it's like maybe they could hand it off to another developer and just let them continue the series although that would that has its own issues uh, I'm looking at U343 Industries yeah I think uh, when you have an IP that you like and you might want to just keep it and, you know, until you get like a better idea to, to add to it. Cause you know, if you, I don't know, I guess you could license it out. I know Bethesda did that with Obsidian for New Vegas and people are demanding a New Vegas now. So I, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different variations out there on what's happened with various IPs and, uh, I would like more Sly Cooper. I, I thought that was a really good series, but um. Yeah, you, you just know, like squirrels, don't you? I no, he's not a squirrel. He's a he's a fox. He's a raccoon. Yeah. That's right. He's a raccoon. He's a raccoon. That's he's a raccoon. raccoon. He's a raccoon. Um, he's just a, a interesting character, and I guess people like rogues and thieves, and so that's just a really good one. Apparently, there's 14 Spyro games. I just had to look that up. That's yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You have to count the Skyliner games as, as uh, Spyro games, too. Yeah, they said there's nine core games, one reboot, three spinoffs, and one collection. That's, wow, that's a lot. Okay, um, but yeah, so it'd be nice. You know, maybe one day they'll, they'll revisit the franchise and uh, add to them if they come up with a good story idea. Or maybe will happen what happened with uh uh uh, uh, uh not uh, I mean oh, damn it with the uh, Banjo Kazooie and some of the some of the developers from from Rare decided to make ukulele. <laughs> yeah, maybe they could do a collection on Steam or something. Uh, that's not going to happen. So, well, actually, no, that's not true because now Sony's embraced Steam, so we'll see. I mean, here's the thing. If they if they I, I just if they release the Sly Cooper games on Steam, I think they sell really well. So who knows? I mean, they're, they're releasing God of War on Steam. They might as well release Sly Cooper. Anyways, we're gonna move on to the next item. Squads 50 versus 50 tactical FPS action game has moved over three million copies, and this comes from Shack News. Offworld Industries Squad, a 50 by 50 online shooter, has a long and interesting road between Kickstarter, early access, and full launch. And today, the team is happy to share the response has been stellar. Apparently, Squad has moved over 3 million copies worldwide and recently put up the best concurrent player count on Steam with over 26,000 enjoying the game at the same time. According to the press release, which launched uh, version 1.0 in September 2020, it has sold 3 million copies worldwide. Moreover, the team celebrated its best concur- same concurrent player yet. 
And still even, the game has kept an average of nearly 12,000 regularly checking out what Squad has to offer. In a time in which Battlefield 20, uh, 2042 has disappointed and Call of Duty publisher Activision Blizzard is chock full of problems in management, uh, Squad has been a breath of fresh air. Did you write this item, uh, TJ? I did. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this... I haven't had a chance to check this out, and I really want to now because it looks good. It looks fun. It looks like a pretty decent time. And Battlefield is absolute shit right now. And this looks like a game that could be even fun. Like, well, EA is trying to figure out what to do with that game. Yeah, it's it's sort of it looks like a slightly more realistic version of Fortnite, basically, with with real weaponry. And, you know, but it has it does have a soft around it. I mean, they all look like, uh, you know, regular military people. But mm-hmm. I remember back in the day, Mag tried this 50 versus 50. Yeah. But for what it, for what it's worth, it looks like this one works like people are enjoying it. And it's got a very high rating on uh, Steam. Um, it's interesting how they like. I don't really see Fortnite when I look at it. It it kind of makes me think. I'm only talking. I'm only talking about the the graphics because they're a little bit soft. I mean, Arma goes for the, you know, the really hard, you know, realistic look. Well, this one has sort of a soft look to it. It's not. It's not. It's not cartoony. It's just soft. I guess because Mm. here's the thing: you're you're dealing with uh, resources, and if you're gonna have 50 versus 50 on a map, you're gonna basically have to tone it down a little if you want really smooth gameplay. Yeah, and. yeah, it's I mean, this game doing well at this particular time is uh is some pretty good timing for them. Because I don't know. I, I feel like if I feel like if Battlefield twenty forty two wasn't floundering as hard as it is right now in just a complete mess, then you wouldn't have that as many people looking for an alternative. How's PUBG doing? PUBG is it's it's fine. It's not great. It's not bad. It's just fine. Because that was the last uh, Breath of Fresh Air, which introduced us to the concept of uh, battle battle royale. Yeah, and uh, like I, I I don't know. Like I also feel like if if Activision Blizzard wasn't floundering so hard, then you wouldn't have uh, people looking outside of the Call of Duty series <laughs> for something different. I'm telling you right now, a lot, I'm I, I'm willing to bet you anything. A lot of people in Activision Blizzard right now who work there are just counting the days until Microsoft takes over. Mm-hmm. So good on them, good for them to uh, for uh, for what is basically an indie game to uh, get out there and take advantage of a situation where a lot of the, like the big dogs are struggling right now. Yeah. By the way, uh, that reminds me, there was a there was a minor controversy last week in which they were talking about Bethesda and crunch time. And basically the answer was, well, there was crunch, but not until Microsoft took over. So we'll see. I mean, there haven't been any complaints from that end, you know? Yeah. Anyways, we're going to move on to the next item. Go ahead, TJ. Fable Reboot gets a new narrative lead. Uh, the Fable Reboot being developed by Play by Playground Games, which was first officially revealed at the Xbox... Oh, I'm sorry. This comes to us from PC Gamer. The Fable reboot being developed by Playground Games, which first officially revealed... Which was first officially revealed at the Xbox Games Showcase in 2020, has a new narrative lead. Anna McGill, or Anna McGill, who was formerly its lead writer, has been promoted into the role. 
McGill's previous video game work includes the upcoming Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora, as well as Control, on which she was also a narrative lead. Dishonored, Death of the Outsider, Guild Wars, Guild Wars 2, Assassin's Creed Syndicate, Murdered, Soul Soul Suspect, and Playboy the Mansion. According to a... According to a report by Eurogamer, in 2018, the new fable was planned as a story and character-focused open-world action RPG. The official website calls it a new beginning for the legendary franchise, in which we'll explore a a land of fantastical creatures and wondrous places. Developer Playground Games is the studio behind the Forza Horizon series, and and this new fable is being made in the Forza Tech engine. Oh, God, I just had this image of them driving Forza Horizon cars all over the land of Fable. Technically, you can mod them in. And then you have, uh, what's going No, and then you have the Hot Wheels tracks. <laughs> um, beyond that, we still know very little about it, though head of Xbox Phil Spencer suggested Playground would keep it feeling lighthearted and British, and that it would still be out before Elder Scrolls Six. Yeah, that so, says um, nothing. That says nothing. It's gonna be out before. Yeah, it's gonna be out before 2043. <laughs> It'll be out before the end of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, here's the thing, though. Um, I think by the end of Fable Three, I got kind of sick of the Monty Python esque humor, and I don't mind them yeah. keeping it light. I just don't want it to be over the top again. I don't know. I thought it was pretty hilarious when that when that fairy is flying around in the in the CG and the frog just gobbles her up. Yeah, that's not. But that, 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 uh, you see, here's the thing. That's not quite what the humor that's trying in that would start to try me in Fable was. Mm-hmm. It was just over and over. Yes, we get it. Dry British wit, Monty Python. Yes, we get it. Thank you, Scott. You were gonna say something. Yeah, I don't remember if that was. Fable, the fairy getting eaten. I thought that was a no. That was game. Fable. That was Fable. Was because that kind of implies to me it's going to be darker, not funnier. But I don't oh, know. But maybe. it is. But yeah, well, Fable had a lot of dark humor. Um, like they had a parody of the Necronomicon, and um, while the dead were being raised, one of the one of the generals would be shouting, "Sergeant, Sergeant Smith, you uh, did I give you the permission to resurrect yourself? No, I did not. You know that sort of thing." Ah. Like I said, I am mildly interested in Fable. I think I'm burned out on Fable. I would like it to have... Here's the thing about Fable. It is too open. You can have a game that's too open so that it feels like almost nothing you do really has an effect, that you're just increasing numbers. Like getting... Go ahead. I get that impression with the first game I remember playing, and you turn into this old man, and anytime you did a cutscene... You're shown as this young guy, but your character is this old dude, and it just feels like you're not even there. The game is just saying, yeah, this is the story. And well, here's the thing. Uh, you could get married in the Fable games, but what did it really mean? It meant nothing. It just meant you were able to keep on farting and entertaining them until you, you gave them some candy. And then, oh, we're married now, and now we're having kids. It, it meant nothing in the game. It was sort of like... The, the first release of No Man's Sky, there was a lot... Yeah, you could explore a lot, but who cares? There's nothing to do, you know? I want a little more structure, you know? Just a little more. Did you play yeah. any of the Fable games, TJ? Did I play them? Of course. Oh, okay. Um, I played the heck out of two and got all the endings. Even the, even <laughs> there are three the endings. Ones. There was just three endings. 
And yeah. the reason why I remember that is because it was taking off from Star Trek 2. The needs of the many, the needs of the few, and the needs of the one. Those are the three mm-hmm. endings. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I just I just thought that... It, I, the thing that stands with me the most is not so much the endings, but how stupid the last encounter is. Oh, yeah, but they made fun of that in Fable 3. What kind of rubbish game has you killing the, ma- the main villain with one shot? And if you just let him talk, you didn't even take the shot. Reaver would yeah. take the shot. <laughs> I, I like that, actually. I, I love when Reaver said, oh, I'm sorry, were you listening to him? <laughs> I just I wanted like him to shut up. <laughs> able to shoot him. That was that was nice to have that freedom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just wanted more out of that last encounter than to just hear him monologue until somebody shoots him. (laughs) I think that was supposed to be a subversion, but yeah. Um, I did like, I did like the characters in it. I liked Reaver. I really liked Hammer. Um, and her, she had a real arc. She went from being this meek, uh, monk. who was just huge to being a, a mercenary, and then by the end of the game, she says, you know, I'm sick of violence. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to become Hannah again and just forget all about this. And I really – that was a great arc in which she abhorred violence. She embraced violence. She decided, you know what? I don't want violence. I've had it. That's it. You know, I'm done with it. And then Reaver is just unrepentantly evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just gets more evil as the series goes on. <laughs> yeah, well – he was well. He wasn't in the first game, but he was in the second. And then in the third game, he's your advisor. And mm-hmm. he and even if you pick the quote unquote good uh, decisions, he always finds a way to make it so it profits him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I didn't like him much in two, but I really liked him in three because he just he just took the ball and ran with it. Yeah. Anyways, we do have listener feedback. Um, this was also from 6053, which I missed because it was not approved until I approved it. Go ahead, TJ. Listener feedback from Leon on, on episode 653. Dragon's Dogma 2 might be great if they expand choices with the collaboration features. Might maybe have tactical party settings like Dragon Age 2 had, so you can direct collaborative battles without tediously micromanaging. Hmm. I don't know. I uh, a part. I think a part of what makes uh, Dragon's Dogma so cool in the first place is just like the the it. It's not Dark Souls, but it's kind of like Dark Souls. It's sort of like a Dark Souls. It's like a, it's like a mix between Dark Souls and Monster Hunter, basically. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, because Capcom sure does like their giant monsters that you have to, like, grapple so, and, and engage with it to bring them that, down. Isn't that the game in which you also have an assistant that other people can rent? Yes. The pawns. Um, I, uh, I think that, like... I don't. I don't think it would hurt to have like tactical party settings where you could like pause everything for a moment and di- and like use a cursor to direct your parties to either cast spells, do attacks, do play aggressively, play defensively, or all that jazz. But uh, but I would. But I would actually not like uh, playing it as tactically as some people would. 
Yeah. I like playing that game in real time, and I think it's part of the fun and challenge. I still yet to play it. Um, I know all about it, but I still haven't actually played it. And I know they have the uh, Dragon's Dogma everything, you know, the uh, everything edition, which has all the uh, content that you'd want. You know, so maybe I'll play it at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it, it's definitely aged at this point, and it shows its uh, it shows its age. Also, there's uh, there's less activity going around because not everybody is trading and moving their pawns around as much in the game. <laughs> Why won't anybody use my Robin? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty. There's still some fun to be had in it. I just don't think there's as much as when it was, like, I I would say, like, shortly after Dark Risen came out. Anyways, look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with industry news and our Gaming History articles. Ah, I screwed that up. We enjoy your feedback, so leave us comments at our blog at gamingpodcast.net. Also, to subfacebook.com slash gamingpodcast. Subscribe to us at iTunes and iTunes comments. You can find me on Twitter at Jonah Falcon. You can find me at Johnny Chokes. You can find me at Shark Moore. And we will see you next week. Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all. <laughs>